Hello everyone and welcome back to Bench Busted FPL. My name is Jack, I'm your host for the week and as always I am joined by Nick. Nick, how are you doing this week? I'm doing very well Jack, Thanks. <laughs> thank you very much for asking. Um, another great week where, um, well, who knows, lots of good stuff is happening. That doesn't sound very genuine if I have to say so myself. <laughs> well, there's two ways of looking at this week, right? Where I can look at it the way I usually look at it, which is that, again, I've lost to you, or... I can I can have that PMA, that positive mental attitude, and I can say to myself, look, I beat the average by 30 points this week. Oh, great week for me. And and that's how I'm choosing to look at it. Is that is that like a uh, a pro psychology term? Is that what that is? No, P- PMA. I think it's actually anti-psychology. I think people just <laughs> say that like, on Twitter. You just get people on Twitter say it all the time. Fair enough, mate. I mean, yeah, look, like I say, I mean, you can look at it on both sides of the coin, as it were, but... You know, I mean, we will get into talking about, of course, how our teams did in blank game week 33. And of course, look forward to game week 34 in due course. But I just want to bring up something and it's a very recent topic in terms of the Premier League. And that is, of course, the Premier League Hall of Fame. The Premier League announced that now they're going to be starting to induct, you know, these legends, uh, as it were, of the Premier League into the Hall of Fame. We already had our first two inductees into the Hall of Fame and I think you know both very very worthy of of being inducted first into it that's Thierry Henry and of course Alan Shearer but they have released a an an initial list of players and and they are opening the vote to the public voting does close on the 9th of May so in in, in a couple of weeks time at six o'clock but yeah if you just head over to the Premier League website. I'll run through some of the names on the list. Of course, you've got David Beckham, Dennis Burkamp, Sol Campbell, Eric Cantona as well. Tony Adams is on there. I won't go through all of them. Drogba, Rio Ferdinand, Roy Keane, Stevie Gerrard, uh, Frank Lampard, Paul Scholes, Michael Owen, Peter Schmeichel. And I mean, there, there are quite a few other names on that list now at the moment. And of course, they will probably be doing this on like a yearly basis, I, I imagine. Nick, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to to look through or maybe even submit your votes, but what do you think of that initial sort of selection? Uh, I think it's all right. I mean, I'm boycotting it because Yakubu isn't on the list. <laughs> Breaks my heart, man. What what did Yakubu do wrong? Um, I like it. It's good. I think, isn't it notorious that the Arsenal fans have like the biggest sway on online polls? So is it just going to be Arsenal players every year until they sort of run out? Because there's not that many who deserves to be on the list. That is true. I mean, they are synonymous with, you know, boycotting polls, as it were, or or certainly voting for the unpopular option. I mean, we'll we'll see. I have submitted my votes on it. And and like I say, there are quite a few members on the list and all of them in their own right have so many uh, achievements in their Premier League career. And to be honest, I think that all of them should just be inducted. I mean, you can really say that about, like you say, you know, Yakubu and, and several <laughs> other players um, who have left quite a quite a significant mark on the Premier League, whether it be their, their style of play, the, the number of goals scored or, you know, the number of, of Premier League titles won. Um, so, like I say, just uh, imploring everyone to, you know, check it out, get your votes in, like I say. 9th of May, 6 o'clock is when the voting closes and we will have a couple of other players to join the likes of Thierry Henry and, and Alan Shearer. Nick, I think it's time to get into the business end of the podcast. Well, business end, business start, whatever you want to call it. But 
How did your game week go? How did game week 33 go for you, mate? Well, look, it did go well. I, 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 I hate to I hate to boast. I got I got thirty more points than the average. It's almost making me speechless. Actually, <laughs> I I got sixty six points in total. I popped off the, the the captain choice. It was all right. It was pretty pretty good for my team. You know, salary. He got eighteen. Well, nine times two points. The only person who did better was actually another popular captain choice, uh, Ayanacho in my team. I got smatterings of points. You know, I got Mendy and Christensen got a clean sheet. Both picked up yellow cards because that's just how it do in my team. Havertz didn't play. Fernandez got three. Jota got one. So the classic sort of um, Nick team dynamic where a lot of my players that I'm expecting to do well just sort of flop around and, and, and don't do stuff. Coleman, who I, oh, I, well, we obviously talked about him last podcast because um, we recorded that a bit late and, and I'd already brought him in. Let's say it again. Coleman, what a legend. <laughs> you know, legend of the game. Thank you very much for the seven points, my man. Um, Vidra also, I think special mention goes to him because in a game where he played 70 something minutes, I think he missed the last goal where, where Burnley won four nil. He managed to get zero, zero. That's right. Zero Z E R O attacking returns, um, as a striker in a four nil victory in a game that he played most of and had a goal disallowed in really defined the game week. Cause I'm sure we'll find out, uh, in, in, Watch it. 40 seconds, because I'm about to ask you, Jack, how did you do this game week? I mean, I got 10 more points than you. I did take a minus four hit, so I did end up on 76 minus four, so 72 points all out. Um, and, I mean, very much in a similar vein to you, you know, a, a smattering of points here and there from a lot of players who perhaps on their day would have scored quite a few more points. And, I mean, one player who was quite clearly on his day was none other than Mr. Chris Wood himself. You talk about Vidra and him not returning in that game, not getting any attacking returns. And Chris Wood, man, oh man. First half hat-trick, sets up the fourth and final goal for Burnley against Wolves in that 4-0 win. Bags himself 20 points. I mean... There's, there's not really a lot more I can say about that. I think he single-handedly boosted my overall rank by 100,000. I was just outside of the top 300,000 at the start of the week. And to be honest, I, I, I would like to describe how much I just kept smiling on Sunday at like 2 o'clock. But I just can't put it into words because I was sat down. I didn't even, well, so, so I didn't watched the very beginning of the game. I did see that Chris Wood scored. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Okay, maybe, maybe I should uh, give this game a bit of a watch. And you know what? I'm glad I did. I, he was just on fire. I mean, I don't know what was happening to that Wolves team. It was a Wolves team who were on a, you know, they, they kept two clean sheets in their last two games prior to that one. And yes, we know that Wolves have struggled to score goals, but defensively, really, over the last... I mean, not just the last couple of weeks, but throughout the entire season, really, Wolves have been one of the better defensive sides. And it just all fell apart there. I, I honestly don't know what was going on with them. I think McNeil had a fantastic game. And I think that he is definitely one to look out for. If you want someone who's going to be maybe even more of a differential than the likes of Chris Wood or, or Mate Vidra, then McNeil looks like he's he looks like he means business. I mean... 
Burnley have a bit of a mixed run of games from now up until the end of the season, but yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to to keep a hold of Chris Wood, certainly for the short term. Um, again, similar to you, I captained Mo Salah and of course had Iheanacho in the team. And I was I did mention it last week as well. It was a bit of a difficult decision to decide between the two, either Salah or Iheanacho for the captaincy. I got it wrong, but I mean, I'll, I'll still take Salah's nine points um, and, and doubling that up to 18. So it was funny, though, because Salah, I think he had his bonus points changed like after the end of the game. Um, and Salah was on one bonus point and then it got bumped up to two bonus points. And I mean, that, of course, you know, I'll, I'll take the extra points here and there whenever I can. And so, yeah, like I say, I can't I can't really say anything else about my team. I mean, the only the only downside really was uh, yet again, I left Antonio Rudiger on the bench. And I mean, I did that for the sole reason that, you know, I thought that given the fact that Chelsea have such a congested fixture schedule, I assume that he may be rested for that game against Brighton. But he played. I mean, he kept the clean sheet, got two bonus points. So we were discussing this before we started recording. Given the fact that we are in the situation where we both still have our bench boost, we do at times have to bench players that perhaps we wouldn't be benching at any other point in the season. And I think that just goes down as, as one of those moments, really. But, mate... I'll take the 20 points from Chris Wood all day of the week. Well, will you now? Will you now? You just take them. Oh, I'll just have them. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it's probably my fault because I'm pretty sure when we ran through the fixtures last podcast, I jokingly, well, because the game was on the BBC, I believe that I probably jokingly said something along the lines of, oh, yeah, and watch that if you want to watch a thriller. So I, I deserve it. I think this is what I get. And in previous seasons, it reminds me of um, last season, when I got in uh, ASM and he got a hat-trick of assists against Bournemouth. That was a nice little punt on a team that were fighting relegation. And um, the season before, I got Dale Lefeo in for a hat-trick that he scored, which was at the very start of the game week. And I specifically remember you getting very upset about it at the time, actually, which that's why we play the game. That's why we play the game, Jack, just specifically for that moment. But uh, this is the this is the season where it doesn't go my way and it goes your way. And uh such is life. Them's the dice, I think, is, is the phrase. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a weird one because, you know, I was talking at length last week about Crystal Palace being the side that were seemingly on the beach and, you know, they didn't really have a lot to play for. And I mean, really, Wolves do fall into that category as well. You know, they've just gone past the 40 point mark, which we know is the sort of fabled get 40 points and, you, and you'll be safe in the Premier League for the next season. They've gone past it. And quite honestly, their their players were just hung out to dry by that Burnley side. I think Burnley, again, very much a team who had everything to play for. I mean, they started the game week just above the relegation zone and, and results going against the other teams in and around them has propelled them up to 14th place. Now, they are joint on points with the likes of Southampton and Newcastle behind them. But, you know, it's, it's got to do them the world of good. It's got to do Chris Wood the absolute world of good as well in terms of, you know, he scored his first Premier League hat-trick. He's been one of the most informed players, certainly over the last couple of weeks, if you look at the likes of his XG and, and, and his sort of ex-goal in involvement and his shots and everything. I think he's only really behind the likes of Ian Acho and Kane, who again are two of the most informed players at the moment. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try not to speak 
at length about Chris Wood, but I feel like I already have. And I take his output from, you know, game week 27 onwards. He's now got six goals and three assists over the course of six weeks. I'm just going to leave it there, mate. It's He's on form and... I still remember picking him on my wild card and thinking maybe this is a bit of a mistake, but I'm happy now. I'm 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 happy that a punt has finally gone my way. Yeah, no, uh, congratulations, Jack. I'm sure that Havertz is eventually gonna start a game. <laughs> I'll get a huge I'll get a huge two point haul when that happens, and I can't wait for that. So I'll, ca- I'll be catching you up. I'll be I'll be hot on your heels eventually with my big differentials. The Burnley game aside, though. Was there any other result from the game week that, that particularly caught your eye or, or, or stood out? I, I'll tell you what, I, I'll be honest here. It's, it's one of those where we um we get the points come in and we, and we look at the players and we're kind of happy with it. But actually, the Liverpool game versus Newcastle, cool, yeah, Salah gets a goal. And, and if you have Jota and, and a defender, you, you're kind of upset that you didn't get more actually from that game, especially considering how late the Newcastle goal was and... And how many chances uh, Liverpool missed and squandered. But but that game, that's the game that I, I, I'm interested in the most because it's another case of Liverpool throwing away points, throwing away opportunities where they've created lots and lots of opportunities for the game to, to really be theirs. It sort of reminds me of Klopp's final season at Dortmund where... They, they, they had a, a relegation form about them. They were actually sort of near the drop when he eventually left the club. And they were just quite unlucky in games. So they'd, they'd get good they'd get good performance-based stats. They, they'd score highly on XG. They'd score highly on sort of expected assists and, and expected points as well. They were uh, some, some, a German mathematician did a table and he found that although they were, oh, I'm going to say 17th, but it might have been a bit higher in the table, they were actually fourth in terms of expected points, sort of almost Brighton-esque, but with more quality. And that's what I, that's the vibe I get from Liverpool at the moment. I get a vibe from them that's very much that they're a bit unlucky and that sooner or later they will get the results and, and the players will get the points that they sort of should. And I know that that's weird to say because Trent has scored really well recently, Salah as well. But I think it's going to be more. I think Jota's a no-brainer to hold after seeing that game. And if you don't have Trent or you don't have Robertson, are you even playing the game? Because Robertson, oh, he's, just, he's good. And, and I kind of wish I'd been able to afford Trent. But Robertson's creating a lot of chances and he's getting in and amongst... Well, he's getting in the box. He's getting touches in the box that I, I really like the look of. And I think it's just a matter of time there. So that's what I'm taking away from it. Poor performance for Liverpool on the whole. A below average sort of performance where they've sort of been quite unlucky. Newcastle did very, very well to hold on and take their chance when they got it. I don't know if I've made it clear, but I think the is the best goalkeeper in the league and should probably go to a better team. But 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 yeah, like a team that look like they're about to pop off. They just need the rubber, the green, if that makes sense. Uh, I've blabbed a bit there, but, but I hope you get my point. I hope you see what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think Newcastle... Have been fantastic, um, certainly in in recent weeks. I think Liverpool as well. They can see themselves a bit hard done by. It. You mentioned Jota. I mean, how that guy hasn't picked up multiple returns over the last you know three or four weeks is it's beyond belief. Really, I mean, he's getting as you say, he's getting so many touches in in the box. He's getting so many shots off as well, and. I don't really know how to evaluate him at the moment. I think we've seen it in the past and we we saw it earlier on in the season. You know, if he doesn't start, 
then he can be that impact player off the bench and and he can outscore any of that in any of those other attacking players in that Liverpool side off of the bench. Uh, we we know the quality that the Liverpool attack possess. Um, it was a game where Klopp, of course, decided to go with the front attacking four and play the likes of Mane, Firmino, Salah and Jota from the get-go. Jota was unfortunately subbed off uh, just before the hour mark, which was, uh, again, costing us costing us a point. But yeah, as you say, Diego Jota, I think he's a hold. They do have a very difficult fixture coming up in game week 34, as we know, against Man United. So I think Klopp's best bet of getting anything from that game is to perhaps go with that front attacking four as well. And we know that Liverpool are very much a team that have everything to play for in terms of trying to push themselves up into a top four spot. They're, they're currently in sixth place. So, you know, they, they do have a lot of work to be done to try and get the likes of West Ham and, and, and Chelsea out of the places above them. And of course, at the same time, they do. I mean, I know that Spurs are a bit of an up and down team. They do also have to keep an eye on Spurs and, and, and Everton as well, who, of course, do have a game in hand over them. And I don't think it will go down too well with the Liverpool supporters if they do finish below Everton come the end of the season. But we know what that Liverpool attack can produce and we know that on their day they can create something out of nothing and be quite comfortably scoring five or six goals in that game against Newcastle because they did create quite a few chances. And I mean, Salah took his goal fantastically well as well one team that I do want to talk about that we are both invested in in terms of the attack and that is Leicester and Kaleti Iheanacho I mean the guy just can't stop returning at the moment he's definitely definitely the in-form striker at the moment and to be honest mate you, you talk about Trent and Robertson and you know not owning either of them are you even taking FPL seriously I think Kaleti Iheanacho at this moment in time very much falls into that category. And I get it. I get that a lot of FPL teams are inactive and haven't been making transfers. But for Kaleti Iheanacho to only be selected by 23.2% of teams overall, I get it. The top 10k ownership is, I think, nudging almost 80%. But to not have him in your team, what kind of person would you have to be to not have this man in your team at the moment, mate? Some sort of idiot, right? Some sort of idiot. <laughs> I, I honestly, I can't see it. I, I think, I think the most interesting thing for me is that uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's loads of chat online about people who want to bring in Vardy, even for like players like Kane. And um, I don't get it. I, I, I honestly don't get it. Why would you be getting in Vardy when? Well, I guess Vardy takes a different slot. But like, if you're going to get a Leicester attacker. You're getting Iheanacho way, way before you're getting Vardy. And you're probably keeping Kane over Vardy, if I'm being very honest. And I and, and I see so much talk for Vardy. I see loads and loads of chat about him. And, and everyone wants, everyone's sort of trying to work out how to get him in. And so little chat still about Iheanacho. I know that people are making moves to get him in. And I know that he is very, very highly owned. But come on, man. He should be 100% owned amongst... As a, yeah, you're right. Anyone who's taking the game seriously. Because... He's putting up the stats. He's getting all of the shots in the box. You, you name it. He's get he's he's getting shots in the box for games he doesn't even play in. He's he's getting he's getting more shots in the box than any other striker except maybe Kane. I think um, he's got 
incredible XG. The chances are coming for him. It's not a fluke that he's converting these. At least with with someone like Lingard, you can say that A, it's a valuable midfield space. Um, B, that he's he's a bit pricier, albeit not a whole lot pricier. Um, and and C, that 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 he's not necessarily putting up the stats uh, in the same way. But Iheanacho, he just ticks every single possible box. I and the signs have been there for a long time. So Jack. I'm 100% on board with you like this. If you don't have him, you, you seriously aren't taking the game seriously. I think that's that's my line. That's my hard line on this. <laughs> yeah, I think it is interesting, though, as well, because before the Barnes injury earlier in the season, Iheanacho wasn't featuring, if at all. I mean, he, he you know, he'd, he'd get an appearance off the bench here and there. Um, you know, he might start one game and, and then be rested for the next five. And he was playing maybe a bit part role for that Leicester City side and without the likes of Barnes and of course Madison just coming back to to full fitness at the moment it does look like Rodgers is adopting a, a slightly different system to what he would perhaps normally be be doing and and I think that well and truly Ian Acho is trying to show Brendan Rodgers that he belongs in that starting lineup he deserves to be starting games week in week out which I mean he has been doing since that Barnes injury and it just goes to show, you know, if if give him time. I mean, he was transferred from Man City, what was it, seven, eight seasons ago. Um, I mean, even when he was at Manchester City, he the games that he did come on for them off of the bench, he did have spice about him, shall we say. You know, he he did look like he wanted to get involved as, as much as he could, get on the ball, get shots off in the box as well. And you look at him and... Certainly playing alongside the likes of Jamie Vardy, you know, Premier League winning Jamie Vardy. It has to give him so much more confidence as well. And and I, I can only imagine that the likes of Jamie Vardy in the dressing room is having such a major influence on him. And, you know, we, we talk about Jamie Vardy getting a bit on at the moment and perhaps his FPL returns are diminishing and, and have been diminishing over the last, maybe last season, this season. Uh, I mean, he's still having a fantastic year. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, Vardy has been a, a solid striker for for Leicester over the last five seasons, to be honest. But Leicester will inevitably have to deal with the fact that Vardy won't be there eventually. And Ian Acho looks like he's again very much staking his claim to nail down the starting striker spot when Vardy inevitably leaves. So. Yes, they are going to have to replace Vardy, but like I say, I mean, Ian Acho is just coming into his own, really. And Leicester have got a fantastic team as well in and around him. You know, you look at the likes of uh, Yuri Telemans, who is, again, another player who I think is going a bit under the radar. Of course, he's not getting all of the plaudits from the FPL world because, you know, he's a central midfielder and, and he does drop deep at times. And you don't get a lot of points when you're sort of playing in that holding role, as it were. But... I think a lot of credit has to go to him. I think the, the defenders as well, Wesley Fofana, fantastic young talent. Again, we saw it. I mentioned it uh, last week, but credit to Palace as well, letting Wesley Fofana break his fast uh, halfway through the first half. And, you know, I think he tweeted or he posted on his Instagram account after the fact saying, thanks a lot to the Premier League and, and Crystal Palace for allowing me to break my fast. You know, it's been tough, but just goes to show the maturity of the kid as well. You know, he, he he does want to play football and he does want to try and get on with the job at hand despite fasting uh, through Ramadan. So he's doing a fantastic job. I think Castagna as well has looked decent. Luke Thomas, who started in the game as well, 
they just got a, a very good squad, and I think that Brendan Rodgers, what he's got going on at that club at the moment, is just fantastic. Well, he'd be certainly mad to take the the Spurs job that has been suggested, isn't he? <laughs> I will say actually that what we're talking about here with Iannaccio is one of like the core skills of FPL, isn't it? It's halfway through the season, a player who wasn't on the radar or, or players as, as it comes and goes who weren't on the radar at the start of the season, um, they either get game time that you didn't expect them to get through injury or, or sort of form or both, or they play in a more advanced position or, or a different role or, or pick up some sort of role that, that they didn't usually have, a bit like Gundawan or, or Jota who started starting games. And it's on it's on us as managers to sort of identify as many of those as we can as the season goes on and get them in as soon as you can as the season goes on. Because that's where you get points. You get, well, you get great value for your money in, and you get points. You get ahead of the curve. So you also sort of end up earning money on the player because people transfer him in. He goes up in price and then the injury, the player who's injured might come back or, or whatever. And you can sell them on for, for the next new thing. And you enable yourself to have the, the premium options, right? The, the Salas, the Brunos, the KDBs, the Canes. Um, who are almost sort of guaranteed points, the players who put up big numbers week in, week out that perform, that are priced highly for a reason. And I think identifying those options, I don't know, it's the, it's the most important thing to me in FPL. It's, it's the fun bit. Where I used to do it a lot with defenders. I used to really enjoy trying to find the, the good, cheap defender options. But maybe, maybe my new thing is is enjoying all of the positions, including uh, striker. But uh but that's something that I think on, on reflection, maybe I haven't done so well this season. And I, I don't want to go into all the things that I've learned this season, all the things that I could do better. I think actually we could probably save that for a podcast where there's either a, like a blank game week towards the end of the season, potentially 36 or, or even afterwards. But it is something to reflect on. It's something to think about if you're playing the game. Uh, how do you get the Kelechi Iannaccio in as soon as, as soon as they become an option? How do you find the next new thing? It's it's only going to be a matter of time before an out of position player appears at a club or or a midfielder who has been potent in the past starts getting the game time that you sort of expected them to get. Like Foden is an example of someone who actually hasn't got the game time that we expected to get yet, but uh, could pop off in the future. And I think identifying those players is, and no, I think it's really important. And and I wanted to sort of mention that because. It's, a, it's, it's skill and there's a bit of belief you have to have about your own judgment as well. You have to get them in fast. And I think I jumped on an Iannaccio. I wanted to jump on Iannaccio as soon as I saw him score against Man United in the FA Cup. Because that's when I sort of started believing that he was more than just a, a one-time thing. You know, or someone who played a couple of games while Barnes was injured. He he became the real deal for me there. And I got on, in a, got on him early there. But... Other players like Gundogan, like Lingard, who I didn't jump on at all and, and probably won't now, um, not so much. So mixed bag and, and, and a skill that's worth honing and thinking about and, and having in your repertoire, at least. I think one midfielder who may or may not fall into that category, I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to hear your opinion on, on this because he is a bit of a streaky player, as it were. But Mateus Pereira at West Brom, again, doing the business, getting them a well earned draw against Aston Villa you know he picked up 10 points in the game week and I think he has scored now the the most points 
I think, since game week 19. If you were to break it down, he's got more points than, certainly in a midfield role, he's got more points than even Bruno Fernandes. And Bruno Fernandes is a player who's gone on a bit of a, I wouldn't say it's a barren run for him, but certainly compared to earlier points in the season where you were almost guaranteed a Bruno return every single week, it's now sort of dropped off a little bit. But yeah, Mateus Pereira, I think, certainly falls into that category. And yes, like I say, he's a bit streaky. He can have games where he will score a bunch of points and then he'll go maybe two or three games where he doesn't do anything exciting. But he has all of the ability to to create chances. And and for sure, I mean, if, if you are targeting a player who is, I wouldn't say he's going under the radar. I think a lot of people are now sort of turning to him, but he is still only owned by... I think what five percent of of players in the league. So you know he's, he's he's a player who I think deserves a lot more credit. He's someone that I have spoken about quite a few times on this podcast, and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact of watching him in the championship last season and and, and over the last couple of years, really. And he has looked like that that creative spark that a Premier League team would find enticing and I think that he's now gone on to prove that he can perform at Premier League level I think if West Brom don't pull off the the big Sam great escape then Mateus Pereira is going to be a player who turns heads of not only a lot of Premier League managers but certainly a lot of Premier League owners I think that they're going to be looking at that Mateus Pereira with golden eyes really and and looking at ways that they can bring him into their club because I think that he can quite easily slot into any of the quote-unquote you know top eight teams in the Premier League at the moment so I can see him moving on and I, I would be very surprised if he stayed with West Brom um, if they did get relegated what, what do you make of Mateus Pereira? Yeah I, I like him too I think that he is just a bit too streaky for me whereas I'm always looking at players that that get in the good positions and, and take a lot of shots it does seem to me that a lot of his, well, a lot of his points returns came against blinking Chelsea, didn't they? But <laughs> but um, I'd be waiting to see him actually get some assists or, or some more assists because that's, at the moment, I think it's just kind of big hauls and, and penalties that are, that are giving him the points that make him noticeable. Whereas I'd personally be waiting to see, although there's no time to wait and see these days. So... Uh, Maybe you just punt on him. If, if if you're looking to make up ground and you're looking for a cheap option, maybe you just punt on him because West Brom are going to give it everything, even though they're really quite far away from safety at the moment. They're certainly going to give the games a go, right? Especially like just looking back at how they've played, like Aston Villa, like they really tried there to get as much as they could from that game. Maybe he's worth a punt, but uh, a lot of competition, I think, in that spot. And you, I'd be looking personally to pick a player who is... I don't want to say passing the eye test because I don't necessarily even have to do that. Just someone who is uh, where, where I'd be more sure that they're going to have a have a, have some real returns when they're on the pitch. And I say that as someone who, yeah, I have Havertz in my team, <laughs> <laughs> who, who I'm not even sure he's going to get on the pitch most weeks. Um, but the thing with him is is that I'm, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm a bit biased about it. And I sort of, I, I know deep down, Jack, just deep down inside of me, I know that Havertz is going to score and he's going to score big. If he's on the pitch, and when he is on the pitch, boy, he looks he looks good, doesn't he? He looks good, but um, that's yeah, that's the biggest thing. <laughs> he just doesn't get on the blinking pitch. So I'm a bit of a hypocrite there, where I'm saying no to Pereira, but yes to Havertz. He's like two Pereiras. I think I'd be perhaps more open to looking at Mateus Pereira 
as a potential option if I didn't have a look at his fixture running until the end of the season. You know, they've got Wolves in game week 34. Oh, so he'll score three and get an assist then? Well, this is it. I mean, like I say, I mean, he has contributed to, I think, what, 50% or he's been involved in 50% of the goals that West Brom have scored this season. I mean, that's not, that may sound like a lot, but obviously West Brom have only scored 30 goals and, you know, he, he's got nine goals and six assists by himself. But I mean, you look at his run of fixtures between 35, 36 and 37, Arsenal away, Liverpool at home and West Ham at home. Now, by no means are they games that West Brom are 100% guaranteed to lose because, like you say, we saw what they could do and we saw what they could pull out of the bag against Chelsea. Granted, it was against a 10-man Chelsea, but they still put in a fantastic shift and, and he himself put in a fantastic shift in that game. But yeah, I mean, West Brom... They are nine points from safety. There are 15 points left to play for. I mean, at the very minimum, they need to win at least three out of the next five to even have any kind of a chance of maybe surviving. But then again, their goal difference is just terrible. So they definitely have to pick up points elsewhere. And, and certainly what that means is that they do have to put in, or Mateus Pereira will have to put in similar kind of performances over the next five games. So... I can see why he's appealing from that point of view, but right now, for me and, and the current situation with my team, I, I think I'm relatively happy with, with my team and I do have a, a few differential picks in my team already. But if I was perhaps looking for a way to try to get ahead in the mini league and, and really want to take a punt and save some money in a midfield area, then I think Mateus Pereira would be a, a fantastic option there. We'll move ahead now briefly talk about some of the fixtures on offer in game week 34. I won't go through all of them, but of course, the, the biggest fixture and the standout fixture of the weekend is, of course, between Manchester United and Liverpool. Nick, we were talking about this briefly off air. It's a bit difficult to see which way this game is going to go, isn't it? It's incredibly difficult because historically, you fancy a nil-nil. That's, that's sort of how these te- games tend to go. And it's how, yeah, it's how it's how it's been in the past. But but the circumstances around this game are very different. Where you could you could sort of almost say that Man United are safe for top four. It'd be quite a lot for them to drop out, and they're not going to win the title because they're already ten points behind Man City with literally five games left to go. Whereas Liverpool battling hard for a top four finish, which yeah, they're going to have to work for. They don't have games in Europe, whereas Man United have a European semi-final, both legs either side of this game. You could see Man United being tired. You could see them resting players. You could see Liverpool trouncing them, to be honest. You could see the, the classic nil-nil. But but you said something that, oh, you, you dropped a big piece of information, which I'm not going to spoil. I'm going to let you drop pre, pre-recording here that has really changed my thinking on this because, um, and we'll talk about this later, I was thinking about getting rid of Bruno. You said... I said that the assigned referee, I think, might be Michael Oliver. It might, I might be getting this completely wrong, but I can't remember who the referee is. But all I, I saw a tweet uh, a few days ago talking about the referee that's been assigned to the Man United versus Liverpool game. And they've given, I think, six or seven penalties against Liverpool so far this season. They've given maybe slightly more penalties for Man United this season in the games that they have refereed the clubs. 
And like I say, I mean, that doesn't mean that it's a foregone conclusion that Man United will get a penalty and Bruno Fernandes will, will, will put it away. But it does sort of maybe make you think a little bit, as you say, about whether or not you want to get rid of Bruno Fernandes. We haven't yet talked about, or, or I guess last week we did sort of touch on the fact that game week 35, as it stands and as Ben Krelling is, is trying to predict, could be a double game week and it could be the, the final double game week uh, of the season. So Man United are one of the teams that will double. They will then go on to, to blank in game week 36. We haven't had any confirmation on that yet and I don't think we will get any confirmation on that in until just before uh, game week 35. So it's, it's, it's difficult from that perspective to try and plan. I think Ben has been relatively successful, not only this season, but, but over the last couple of seasons in terms of getting his predictions bang on. Um, I think there are a couple of permutations uh, that are maybe less likely to happen. But what it what this whole situation about the double game week is reminding me of is earlier on in the season when we did have a double game week to, to be announced and the Premier League left it until just after the deadline preceding that double game week to announce the, the double game week fixtures. And I think some managers got stung by that. So I think a lot of FPL managers at the moment are sort of maybe holding off on, on their transfer and, and just waiting for an announcement about a potential double game week. And like I say, Man United are one of those teams. In terms of this game, I just think that Man United, Bruno Fernandes, I talked about it last week. when and, and I mean, part of the reason why I brought him back into my team, you know, all of the stats were saying that he is 90 minutes away from returning mega points in, in FPL. We have seen in the past, certainly towards uh, the end of last season as well, where Bruno Fernandes is a player that can turn a relatively difficult fixture on its head and completely run the show. So I'm not I'm not putting it past Liverpool winning, but I just think that Bruno Fernandes for me as well at the moment, all things considered, is, is a definite hold. And like I say, I mean, Liverpool are going to make it difficult for them. I I know that Liverpool have had their their struggles defensively throughout the entire season, and I know that I think Man United are perfectly poised to capitalise on that. I think another player that has to be mentioned that we did speak about briefly last week as well as Mason Greenwood. Yes, he didn't pick up any returns in the game against Leeds that we didn't talk about in game week thirty three, but he was still getting into good positions. He was getting quite a few shots off as well. Um, so I think Greenwood. If, if you don't want to spend the money on Bruno Fernandes is a very good alternative option. It does certainly look as if Mason Greenwood is taking up that more central position when he is playing. We have seen the likes of Martial and, and Rashford step up into that position uh, throughout the course of this season. Martial out with an injury. Cavani is in and out of that side as well. Rashford coming back from an injury, but he tends to be playing a bit more on the left-hand side. So I wouldn't put it past... Man United winning, but again, it's uh, Liverpool have it all to play for. They, as I mentioned earlier, they they are the team that they want to force themselves back into the top four. They are out of the Champions League. They've really got nothing else to play for apart from trying to finish inside the top four. And I think that, well, I'm I'm hoping that Klopp will drill it into his players that you know they they need to bounce back, and they've only got five games to to do it. So. Yeah, it's so difficult to to see which way this game's going to go. You just broke my heart. I was hoping <laughs> I set you up and I was hoping you'd barrel in with some really confident information about Michael Oliver. Giving I think it's giving, Michael Oliver. 
giving lots of penalties against Liverpool, lots for Man United, <laughs> and casting loads of doubt on my sort of desire to sell Bruno for Son. And instead, you 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 made it hard, Jack. You've made it. You've made it like, oh, maybe he'll be the. Oh man, I'm terrified. Personally, my view of this is is that United will be tired. They'll play for the nil nil or to get goals purely on the counter, which Liverpool very susceptible to because. In fact, you know what? I want to make a prediction right here. I want to say that some pundit, some some average pundit in the studio, when Man United win this 2-0 or something, will will absolutely demolish Liverpool for playing a high line or something like that. They'll be they'll be if Liverpool lose, it'll be because they've pushed up. They've played into a Man United who are who are sitting back, tired, trying to defend mostly and play for a bit of a nil-nil slash one-nil on the counter sort of sort of game. And if they do score, it'll be like one of those goals where they catch Liverpool on the counter, which could easily be a Bruno assist. But I think in these games, Bruno plays even deeper and it'll be Pogba, who's sort of had a bit of a resurgence as of late, playing in a sort of a more advanced position, releasing someone like Rashford or Greenwood to, to sprint at just a cowering Kabak, just a terrified Kabak stood like with his knees knocking together on the edge of the box and... Uh, and that's how it will go if, if United do score. So what you've done there. Or Kabak will foul the guy, give away a penalty, and then Bruno will haul, which terrifies me, actually, thinking about it. So I'm not not excited. I, I'm going to have to make lots of big decisions now because the thing that I'm thinking of is getting rid of Bruno for Son because all of the things you've said about the game are, are what I'm thinking in terms of how difficult it will be. But Jack, I wish you'd gone in hard there on the Bruno Bruno will get pens thing because that might have convinced me easier to just keep Bruno and, and stay put. But now, now I'm looking at that fixture that's that's literally a couple of hours afterwards. Spurs versus Sheffield United. Oh, screams Son Hall, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I think what it screams for sure is a definite captain opportunity, whether it be for the likes of Son or Kane. I don't want to talk too much about captaincy just yet. I will talk about some of... The other fixtures from the game, I mean, you mentioned that yeah, that Spurs-Sheffield United game is the game in the evening on, on Sunday. One game that I, in particular, am looking forward to is Burnley versus West Ham on, on Monday Night Football. And of course, Chris Wood against Jesse Lingard, both players in my team at the moment. I don't have any defenders from either of those sides. Um, so just go for it, boys. Just have at it. You know, score as many goals as, as you like and, and score as many goals as you want for fun. The early afternoon game on Saturday, Palace versus City. City, of course, came back from a 1-0 deficit in their Champions League tie against PSG last night. Um, Pep very much playing his quote-unquote best team um, in the Champions League and, and trying to prioritise that, as you would if you were the uh, manager of Manchester City and and I think that this is what they're only only their second or third time in in the uh, semi-finals so it is a trophy that has eluded Pep Guardiola for quite some time now not not only with Manchester City but but in his stints at Barcelona oh, towards the end of his time at Barcelona and of course at, at Bayern Munich and, and now at City so it's a trophy that he would really love to win I think that the owners were maybe expecting to win it earlier um, but I can certainly see Manchester City, I wouldn't say fielding a, a weakened side because I think that any side that Pep Guardiola puts out is just totally capable of you know, putting six goals past Palace. But we both don't own any Man City players at the moment. Is it, are, are you tempted 
by any of their players or, or is the rotation risk just just a bit too much i think the rotation risk is absurd isn't it it's 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 through the roof i'm looking at it a 12:30 kickoff after they played on wednesday night in the champions league chelsea don't even play until 5:30 someone's someone's done man city over there in the old scheduling booth haven't they <laughs> that's horrible um <laughs> Uh, on an actual FPL related note, I think it's brutal. I think Man City might be a team that you just entirely stay away from for the rest of the season because like, even the players like Cancelo, who we think are in the best team, he came off early last night for Zinchenko, who was awesome. So it's 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 so hard to predict. And, and do you want KDB? Yeah, you want KDB if he's playing every game. You want Gundogan if he's playing every game. But are they? Who who knows, man? Who knows that? I ain't got a clue, but I but I know for sure, Jack, that there there are there is a team that Man City could put out that could quite quite comfortably lose to Crystal Palace. Uh, I think I think the fact that they have a a defender that played for Bournemouth last season in that sort of that B slash C team says it all. Really, um, they they have quality, but Sterling, who you could punt on. Like you could very reasonably punt on Sterling, who seems to have cemented himself in in the second best Man City team now. He doesn't finish very well. There's a reason he's not starting the games in the Champions League. The same can be said for Jesus, who again doesn't start in the Champions League. Um, for Torres, they're 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 players that yeah you might consider getting if you knew they were going to play every game. But on top of that, they're just so inconsistent and so poor in front of goal that that like are they even worth getting? I mean, I don't know. And are their defenders worth getting? The the ones that are part of the B team, like Mendy, when you know that Nathan Aki is likely to be the defender behind him? Probably not. No. So, no, not tempting for me. Not at all. And and when Zaha scores and ruins your big differential plan for the double game week, <laughs> with people getting him in and making his price rise too much for you to to afford him, that's what I'll be. That's when I'll be at my best. That's when I'll be laughing. From it will downhill from there. Yeah. I mean, you bring me on to to my next topic. Really. I mean, there there are some other. Notable fixtures, of course, Chelsea hosting Fulham in the uh, in the London derby and Everton hosting Aston Villa at Goodison Park in, in the evening kickoff on Saturday. But certainly brings me on to the, the transfers. Now, you were talking about Bruno Tasson. I mean, is that a certainty for you? Like, like I say, we, we have very limited knowledge at the moment, although it is probably the best knowledge that, that we have about when a potential double game week will be played. Um, like I say, I... I honestly think that at 31 minutes past six tomorrow I think that we will get an announcement from the Premier League with the rearranged fixtures and, and they will just uh, troll the the whole FPL community like they did last time but as it stands the likes of Aston Villa, Everton, Palace, Southampton, Arsenal, uh, Manchester United, Chelsea and Leicester are, are the teams that could have a double game week in game week 35 the, the latter four are the teams that would also go on to blank in game week 36 because uh, Chelsea and uh, and Leicester are partaking in the FA Cup final. So are we enticed by any of the options from the likes of Southampton, Villa, Everton and Palace? Or, or are they teams who are potentially a trap, as it were, and, and they are teams who on paper, may look like they've got good fixtures and, and you know, we we may be enticed to perhaps have a bit of a punt on some of the players from those teams. But in reality, you know, you look, you look at the likes of Palace, they are 
anything creative that happens does go through Zaha. But offensively, over the course of the season, they, they have been one of the worst teams offensively. What, what do you think, mate? Is it something that is worth taking a punt on if they do get uh, confirmed double game week fixtures? It's, it's few and far between, isn't it? I, I've already gone for a punt. I've already gone for Coleman. And and already I'm feeling quite exposed. <laughs> it's just so so exposed to it. You called them trap teams, and I think that's actually quite quite. I, I know that that's not your own phrase, but it is pretty. It's very relevant here, isn't it? Because especially Southampton and Crystal Palace, we look at as favourable fixtures for whatever player that we have. Right? If we see that our player has a game against Southampton and a game against Crystal Palace, we say that that's a favourable fixture for our player. So. So on the flip side, surely every fixture now for Southampton and Crystal Palace isn't favourable, unless it's like real like Sheffield United levels of of bad that they're playing against. So, no, <laughs> there, there's always the nice picks. There's always the people that you keep an eye on, isn't there? There's the Zahars of the world. There's my favourite is Stuart Armstrong, who has injury woes and he sometimes just gets COVID, but he's good he's really good when he plays and he is such good value for money all of like most of the time it's it's very hard to look past him but um at the moment of course it's hard to evaluate how good Southampton are because they've had a lot of blanks and and they've had a lot of rotation in the team they can't even decide on a goalkeeper at the moment which is another thing that's winding us up because we're, we're hoping that Forster plays so we can bench boost him and then also have a playing goalkeeper in the supposed blank in 36 I think it's I think it's tricky, and um, no, the, the 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 Bruno to answer your original question as well. No, the Bruno to Son transfer is something that that is is only playing on my mind at the moment. I want to see how United look at in in the game that's that's this evening in their Europa League semi final. But one of the things that I'm considering, and one of the things that I think we sh- we need to consider as well for the four teams that that you mentioned, the trap teams, the Southampton, Crystal Palace, Villa, and Everton is. Would we be getting in these players if they just had straight game weeks? If it was just no doubles, straight game weeks? With Bruno to Son, I think I'd do that. I think I'd do that if I didn't know there was a double round the corner. I know that it's a bit different for the four trap teams because their game is like a bonus game. They don't blank afterwards. But but would we consider them if it was only straight game weeks? Would you be looking at Zaha if it was just straight game weeks and saying, yeah, I like the look of him. I want to get him in my team. Well, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. And I think that we're blinded by doubles. We're blinded by the opportunity to get extra points. And um, I'm trying to take a step back from that because I got in I got in Danny Ings for his two double game weeks, you may remember. <laughs> uh, in what I in a move that I'm now calling the the, da- the the beginning of the end for me this season, I got rid of Antonio, I got in Ings for a hit and I just lost points and money and and everything. I lost it all there. I lost it all on a double game week gamble on a player that is seemingly not even fit half the time. Um, so no, Jack, don't be blinded by it, is what I'm saying. Get in the players that you think are good value for money. I like Coleman. He's 4.8. I'd consider him anyway. But be steady. Be steady in, in the way that you approach the double game weeks. Don't go too head over heels for, like, Scott Dan. Although he is actually... <laughs> I said that. He's a 4.3 million defender enabler. He's actually not. He's not the worst of them. Patrick Van Arnholt. <laughs> Don't go head over heels for players like Patrick Van Arnholt. Uh, be a bit measured is, is is my advice. But who am I? I'm just a guy who's had a bad season. Am I not going to be able to tempt you then to go for uh, Jeffrey Schlupp, your your beloved Jeffrey Schlupp? Oh, Christ. He, he is the... 
Do you know when I was speaking earlier about players that if you could identify that Jeffrey Schlupp is now playing 90 minutes a game every week, like maybe there's an injury to, to Eze or something, I think he would be genuinely in the team. He puts in a lot of good crosses. He's very um, very efficient with the ball and, and, and he plays to so many strikers that eventually one of them is going to knock it in, right? I mean, Batshuayi can just fall over sometimes and score. So, so yeah, actually, Jack... Jeffrey Schlupp, he would be perfect if he was playing 90 minutes a game. It's a shame that Roy is so bad at picking teams. It makes me upset because obviously Mitchell is the ultimate enabler, right? 3.8 million for a defender. But Patrick van Arnholt stands firmly in the man's way. If Patrick van Arnholt gets injured in the next couple of games, maybe Sterling takes him out entirely and breaks his leg, which we aren't asking to happen. That's a bit, you know, then, then suddenly like, yeah. Mitchell, straight in, baby. But that's it. That's it. There's no one that I'm looking at and thinking, you're in the team for your double. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I think in terms of game week 34, I I certainly think that I'm going to be holding on to my transfer. Again, like a lot of other FPL managers that I've seen them doing, as I mentioned, you know, just holding off on and waiting to... uh, to see when the double gaming fixtures will be announced. And like I say, I, I, I fully expect them to be announced first thing after the deadline tomorrow at half past six. So I'm keeping fingers and toes crossed. Uh, I'm in a fairly decent position to tackle the double game week and of course activate the bench boost potentially. And I think that that is, uh, I mean, it's really, the only, like I say, it's, it's the last double game week of the season. Um, so I think that if you do have any chips left like your 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 free hit i've seen a lot of people talking about free hits triple captain see if you've got that left as well and you've got a a player who you think is going to do well in a, in in the alleged double game week then it's really the time to sort of lay it all out on on the floor really and and just go for it um like i say at the moment my captain's armband is of course on harry kane and i understand that kane had a bit of a underwhelming game shall we say against Manchester City in the the Carabao Cup final and I think that he will be looking to bounce back he, he wants to be scoring goals week in week out and I, I honestly I don't think that there's ever been a more captain obvious pick um, this season when it comes to a single game week and Harry Kane at home against Sheffield United he uh, yes Son could do the business as well um, but I, I honestly just think that Harry Kane is is where it's at and all of the numbers, all of the, you know, Sheffield United being just terrible at the back and not really looking like they're, they're improving uh, on that. Although they did, of course, beat Brighton in game week 33, but it's Brighton, it's not Harry Kane. I just think that Harry Kane can can get an absolutely massive haul this week. What about you, mate? Who Who is your armband on to finish up this episode? It's on Kane as well. And and I, I do sort of fancy Sheffield United to almost have, you know, when teams are relegated and they have a go. And, and they just start trying to play football. And that might play into Spurs' hands, who are also just going to have a go and try and play some weird counter-attacking, screw you, Mourinho, sort of swashbuckling stuff. So it's on Kane for me. I actually had one more question for you before we do go. Um, you're obviously... You would consider Son as a captain if you had him in your team, wouldn't you? But you wouldn't consider Fernandez. I think that says a lot. I, I Actually, do you know what? This is less of a question and more of just a me thinking out loud. I think the fact I think the <laughs> fact that Son is a consideration for captaincy, whereas Bruno isn't at all. I think that says a lot about the game week and, and the expected points and, and the transfers that could be made. All of that says is that I'm looking at a screen that says Man United are playing Liverpool and Spurs are playing Sheffield. 
that's that's all that comes down to. I don't think it's anything about you know who I expect to get points in my team. Would you captain Bruno if you had Bruno and Son and no Harry Kane? Who would you captain this week? I would captain Son because it's at home to Sheffield. It's a completely irrelevant, <laughs> different point. If if Bruno Fernandez was playing at home against Sheffield and you had Son and he was playing against well maybe not Liverpool but Son playing against a you know a, a good defensive side in in Chelsea or, or Man City you would captain Bruno Fernandes it's nothing to do with who I think is going to get more points it's the fact that Harry Kane plays against Sheffield United that's that's all it is it's a completely different argument mate no I, I'm just I'm just asking like it, it means that that Son against Sheffield United almost seems like a a no-brainer transfer like, like, if it was just for one week, you'd do it every time, wouldn't you? Put your money where your mouth is then and go ahead and do that transfer. And then we will come back next week when we are talking about the up-and-coming double game week and, and the players that we have on our team. And I'll have Bruno Fernandes and you will be sort of trying to figure out a way to get Bruno Fernandes back into your team for human Son. Oh, do you mean the the um, the curse Michael Oliver forgiving Man United three penalties podcast next week? <laughs> I'm here for that. I think that is a perfect perfect place to end for this week 